Chapter 10, not so exciting. I, I had studied to, to teach that this morning, but we didn't get through it at first service, so I won't get through it in second. Um, chapter 9, as it talks about uh, the pinnacle and the opulence of the nation of Israel, they have so much gold, so much silver. At one point, the scripture will tell us today that silver was like stones. It was that common, mm, silver. And I think you'll discover that as we go through the readings here. Um, we were uh, created by God. And if you don't know Jesus, hopefully you'll, you'll know him today. But if you didn't know that, you were created by God for a purpose. And that purpose is to worship him. And I don't mean like he needed minions. That's not what he wanted. But truly, we are at our best and our fullest when we're bringing him glory and telling other people about him. That is, that's what we do. We're the, we're the mouth that praises the Lord. That's it. If we don't do it, nobody else will. And that's what brings us fulfillment in life. Um, what we see here in chapter 9 is coming to the absolute peak of wealth and wisdom. So all knowledge and all wealth results in a book called Ecclesiastes, which was written by King Solomon, which we'll read a little bit from today, which is the absolute worthlessness of all of the things that we're going to read about, wisdom and wealth. And we've heard that before. Most of us are not at the top of that mountain in our lives. We're not looking down at all those that, you know, don't have as much as we do. We're always looking up, it seems like, to, to those who have a little bit more or all. And what they would tell us and what they tell us by their lives, those who are at the top, is don't even waste your time climbing up here. It's worse up here than it was down there. Now, we have a hard time believing that as we're trying to search the couch cushions for food or at least change for food. Um, we would say, easy for you to say. And I last week alluded to the fact that I looked up a bunch of stories about people that had won the lottery and were absolutely miserable because of it. One story in particular was a 17-year-old girl in the UK who won the lottery and was so miserable after winning it, she sued the lottery for letting her win. Not for money, but for punitive damages. She wanted them punished for letting a 17-year-old underage girl, because 16 is the limit over there, the age limit, to win. She says, I had everything I wanted. I bought everything I wanted. I got bored with everything. I, none of my friends could identify with me, could understand me. I wouldn't have anything in common with any of my friends anymore. And there was nobody around me that didn't want something from me. I could trust nobody. She was suicidal. It was so bad. And no matter how many stories we hear about that, it is very difficult for those of us who aren't at that level to understand that. And so Solomon tried to write a book explaining it. That's what Ecclesiastes is. It is all vanity. Our creator built us to do one thing, and it was not to climb those ladders. It was meant to bring him glory and to talk about him. And when we or anybody in this world is not doing what it was designed, what we were designed to do, we will be unhappy. We will be joyless. We will be lost, wandering. It'll become futile. The world becomes a very futile place. I'm going to give you an example of that right off the bat, because sometimes I lose people in the middle of the teaching, so I'm going to get it out of the way right away, and you can tune out right after this. Just stretch out and take a nap if you want to. 
But while I have your attention, I want to give you the example, the practical application of this text, like what we do, an object lesson for the kids. And it's going to be very awkward, and it's going to be uncomfortable. So are you ready? Here we go. I won't put you through anymore. Was that horrific or what? It was. It's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. you're visiting going, yeah, okay, last time at this place. We've all come to worship God. We've all come to hear his word. We've all come to pray together, to sing together. And for those few seconds that we sat there in silence, we weren't doing what we came here to do. And many of us desperately wanted to fill that silence with something, anything. Most of the world, God tells us, doesn't know Jesus or know the creator. Most are going to hell and most live their lives in that silence right there. Not knowing what they were created to do, not understanding that that silence that they're filling with every hobby they can imagine, every shopping, every, every travel trip, every, every thing you can imagine, they try to fill that silence with anything other than what they were created to do with that silence, and that is to open their mouths and sing praises to the Lord or talk about Jesus or serve other people in some way, shape, or form. And when they're not doing that and they're in that silence, man, anything but that silence, it's deafening. It's awkward. And then it becomes very routine. It becomes very futile. I have Monday to look forward to. I live for the weekends, but I know this weekend I'm going to do the same thing I did last weekend. And even in the exciting things I did last week, pretty soon you run out of stuff to do. Pretty soon you run out of places to go. You run out of things to buy because where am I going to put it? And you come to that place where you're empty and you're lonely and you're lost and you're wandering and you feel, what is the point of it all? We're going to read that here in chapter 9. Verse 1. When the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test Solomon with hard questions, having a very great retinue, camels that bore spices, gold, and abundance, and precious stones. When she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for Solomon that he could not explain it to her. When the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearer or cupbearers and their apparel, and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Now, it isn't that that last sentence there, we, we kind of hit on it last week a little bit before we, before we dismiss for the, for the week. Um, no more spirit in her isn't like she was just like, oh, man, you know, despondent. No, the fight was out of her. See, it says right in the beginning that she came to test Solomon. She hears all about this guy, this great king who knows all these things, these wonderful things. She came to test him. She's got some spirit. Sass, we might call it, you know. 
And so maybe replace that word. There was no more sass in her anymore. Because it's all true. She had a lot of things in her heart. Remember who this is. This is a queen of a nation. She knows what a throne is. She knows what it is to be waited on. She knows what it is to have plenty. She also knows what it is to be lonely, to have nobody identify and understand her and her position, her authority, her rule, her responsibilities. The things on her mind are not on the mind of anybody else. She's by herself. And although she has no physical needs, she has no want in her life. She lays in bed and the only thing that keeps her up at night are her own thoughts and her own concerns or her own anxiety or worries. And she'll do anything to quiet those voices. To the point where she hears about this man named Solomon. He's an unbelievable king. He's got the answers to everything. Yeah, I've heard that before. My guess is she's been searching this out for a while. She may have tried many places. That guru up in the cave, you know. Or that old guy over there. Or this legend over here. So she goes to find out about this King Solomon. To test him with hard questions. No one else could answer. And she came with the appropriate stuff. Spices, gold, precious stones to pay him. Because that's usually how this thing worked. Got to pay him. And she was dumbfounded. To the point where there was nothing he couldn't explain to her. I like that. It's one thing to have the knowledge, the data. It's a whole other thing to be able to explain it to somebody where they can understand it. That's the difference between somebody who just is a know-it-all has no way or ability to give that knowledge to somebody else to take it with them to run with it and a teacher which is what he is he's a teacher he's a good teacher she understood it there's nothing like that i took algebra one and algebra two i got geometry but algebra one and algebra two i had to take twice just i just didn't get it couldn't so i went to a tutor basement of some guy's house you know Horrible breath. Horrible breath. I mean, dude. But he had a way of explaining algebra to me that nobody else could, and I understood it, at least enough to pass with a B. I didn't get an A or anything like that, but I, I got through. I, don't, I couldn't tell you anything. Don't ask me. I don't know. I, it's gone. But at the time, he had such a way of explaining it that I could understand it. That's what Solomon's done here. He's explained things to her. And given her peace in her heart, peace in her mind. And he must have said something about the Lord, the way she makes her proclamation here at the end. So he is not only just answering tough questions, he's also doing it in such a way that she knows the true and living God by the time this is over with. Or at least that's where the wisdom's coming from. He doesn't take credit or ownership of it. He explains that God is giving me this wisdom and she believes that. And it helps her. The other thing I saw in this first four verses is the fact that she saw the wisdom. Hearing it and understanding it, that's one thing, but seeing it. And I believe that wisdom in someone's life should be seen. There's a lot of people that are know-it-alls, but you look at their life, you're like, yeah, but I'm not seeing that wisdom in action in your life. I know you know what to do, but you're not applying it. Or at least it's, if it does work, it's not working for you, you know which is what I don't understand. She, when she goes to see Solomon, not only hears it, but then sees it in action. She's like, yeah. And that's everything. When we talk about Jesus with people, when we tell them about a savior or the true and living God, that's great. 
Good job, but they've got to see it. They've got to see it working. What, what good is it to collect another philosophy? They've read a lot of books already. Honestly, for most people, Jesus is the last place they look for peace, for solutions, because it's been around forever. It's been so corrupted, and they've heard all the rumors about that place. It's a bunch of hypocrites. All the people that go there, well, they're really not who they say they are. Well, that's from experience. Those, those things don't just pop up on their own. People don't get those thoughts and ideas about Christians because they make them up necessarily, but because they've run into people. There's nothing you can do about that or I can do about that. I, I, I think it's funny when, when people say, you know what, the church needs stop right there. We don't have some secret meeting. But we all get together and say, okay, this time we're going to be mean to these people. You know, No, no, they're just a, we're just a bunch of folks that came here all from all over the place, stopped here, and you're all who you are, and you're all different places with the Lord. And some of you have this down and don't have this down, and other of you have that down, but you don't have this down. And if someone runs into you on the wrong day or runs into me on the wrong day, and I'm not at the top of my game, I'm not walking with the Lord, not walking in the Spirit, well, they're going to get something other than Christianity. They're going to get J.D. energy, you know? <laughs> And we need to know the difference, and the world needs to know the difference. Now, when Christ is shining through me, you'll know it. And when he's not, you'll know it. So you could see the wisdom in Solomon's ministry, in his kingdom, in his authority, in the way he ruled. It was obvious on the faces of everybody in the room that this guy was more than just an act. He knew it. Verse 5, then she said to the king, this is her, her proclamation about what she's just witnessed, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe their words. See? No, 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 no. I'm going to go test him. I did not believe their words until I came and saw with my own eyes, and indeed the half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. Can you get the sense that she's got a burden lifted off of her? This is... I've never experienced this before, Solomon. I've, I've been in the presence of a lot of wise people, or at least they said they were, but never have I had peace in my heart like this. You exceeded the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men, and happy are your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom, exclamation point. She's excited. I've seen servants before, but they weren't excited to be where they were. It was forced. It was required. It was something you have to do. But there's joy on their faces, and there's joy on your men. I mean, it's just everywhere. There's something about Solomon at this point where she's like, I want what you have, you know. Christianity is absolutely no different. I know I know that the world is wrong. I know that it's a dark place. I can feel it. I'm part of the darkness. They all know that intuitively. Most of the world knows that something has to be done. Something's wrong. They just don't have the answer. And so the rest of the world is groping in the darkness for an answer. And we're supposed to be light in this world to where they see the light and they're drawn to the light. And they're like, oh, there's peace. There's the joy. There's the long-suffering people are willing to put up with me. There's people that are patient with me and kind to me. They're gentle. There it is. 
There is plenty of the other all over the place. You could, you, what's the right, you could throw a stick. I was going to say swing a dead cat, but that has kind of funny. You could swing, throw a stick at some, you know, down the road and, and hit people with that kind of attitude, darkness, viciousness, misunderstanding, anger, rage, whatever, being dismissed. But to have the fruit of the Spirit, that's completely different. And she's experiencing it, and she sees that it's real because he's not being all nice to her and seeing a bunch of wicked people around him, the fangs. She's seeing the same countenance on him, same countenance, countenance, his facial expression, the, the glow that cannot be produced on our own. She sees it all. Blessed be, and so she follows up with, as she sees all this joy, blessed be the Lord, your God, who delighted in you, setting you on his throne to be king for the Lord, your God, because your God has loved Israel to establish them forever. Therefore, he made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. Where'd she come up with all that? That's what she just heard from him. She doesn't know. She's from the land of little gods, you know, the gods that need to be appeased, the gods that are never happy. This is the first time she's run into a God that actually demonstrated his love for them. You don't talk about love with little G gods. Nobody in the world does. Every other religion in the world doesn't talk about the love of their God for them. They talk about appeasing their gods and making sure. God's the only one that demonstrated his love for us to know that if I show my love to them, they'll respond with love back to me. The rest of the world is full of little gods that are out there saying, you better, I'm going to crush your crop. I'm going to kill your family. It's just a constant threat. It's an oppressive thing to worship these little G's. And she knows that. And this is the first time she's ever experienced, this is truly free. It's amazing. She gives God credit for it being his throne that Solomon is sitting on. Solomon must have shared that with her. This is not my throne. This is my father David's throne, and that throne was given to him by God. I'm just a placeholder on this throne, and I know that. And that's what makes him reachable or approachable. She's amazed by it. And so she begins to glorify God, which is exactly what's supposed to happen if we do it right. She's not glorifying him. And you are smart. I'm so thankful for your God who made you smart. Well, you do have it all. I'm so thankful for your God who gave you all of this. You know, she's not having to come up to him and say, Saul, now don't, this isn't about you. It's about your God. Okay, thanks. She's able to understand it in such a way that I know that the joy on your face and the joy in your life and the fruit of it in your life is from your God. And I'm so thankful I came today to talk to you. And this must have been a long period of time. Lots of questions. She's totally blessed. And she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great abundance and precious stones. There never were any spices such as those Queen Sheba, Queen of Sheba, gave to King Solomon. <laughs> the writer's really impressed with the spices, with the herbs. Isn't that funny? oh yeah, there was more gold. We got gold coming out of our ears. But the spices really made the lamb taste a lot better, you know. 
He was impressed with the spices. You know, it'd be one thing if you went to your pantry and all you had was pepper or rosemary. That's it. And then somebody comes in and says, have you ever tried thyme? What's thyme? I bought some sage. What's sage? She brought all that. Just brought spice, you know? Something about that. Anyway, we got lots of gold. Now, the funny thing is, as we read this and we start reading about this stuff, we talk about how much gold is used in stuff. Watch this, okay? And you're going to get bored. It's so funny how we are as people. We're going to get bored reading about the gold. Because if the next verse isn't about something that was bigger and made with more gold, we're going to be like, oh, well, that was only five talents of gold. The last thing was 100 talents of gold. Now, that would have been cool. That's only five. So we dismiss this five talents of gold until we get this bigger number, 600 talents of gold. Oh. But then that's old news as soon as you hear about the 1,000 talents of gold. Even reading about money is boring. We get bored with it. You know? Also, the servants of... So we're going to take a break here. We're hearing the story of Sheba, or the queen of Sheba. And the writer stops and says, and that wasn't the only gold that came into our house, verse 10. Also, the servants of Hiram, the servants of Solomon, uh, who brought gold from Ophir, brought um, algum, wood, and precious stones. And the king made walkways of the algum wood for the house of the Lord and the king's house. Also, harps and stringed instruments for the singers. And there was none such as these before the land of Judah, now Back to Queen of Sheba. Now King Solomon gave to the Queen of Sheba all she desired, whatever she asked, much, much more than she had brought to the king. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. Now, I've always read that. I'm like, well, that was kind of dumb. What, she gave him 120 talents of gold and he gave her 240 back? I mean, why? I don't understand the point. It's not about the money, she didn't get money back. She got whatever she took home with her was far more valuable than what she brought, is the idea. What she was able to bring home to her kingdom was far more valuable than what she had brought. She understood gold. She understood stones and spices. She understood those are commodities. Those are things to use as payment. What she brought home is something far more valuable, which was the wisdom that Solomon shared and probably a relationship with God. Introduction to the true and living God, it's everything. Again, we get, I don't know, we get caught up in it because it does, it is disconcerting to not know where your next meal is coming from or whether you're going to get your bills paid or not. I'm not so foolish as to think that that doesn't become a concern for people. But the wisdom that she receives is going to take care of all the other things. And that's something that we really have to get into our hearts. The knowledge and the wisdom that she takes back from Solomon is going to take care of not only her problems, but any other problems that might be there. And it's the same for us. My relationship with Jesus is going to take care of my money problems. My relationship with God is going to give me everything that I have need of. And this isn't a a prosperity doctrine I'm teaching here. I'm not saying now, now you can expect your wallet to never be empty. Please don't send those to me anymore. If you send those to me, pass this on. If you love Jesus, if you don't, you're, you're a bad person. No, I'm not. I pass those things on purpose. No, keep your dumb little GIF or GIF. I you pronounce it. 
That's not it. See, when I have peace in my heart, I'm content with whatever I have. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And when I start there with contentment, and I'm no longer striving for the things of this world, the mountain that seems everybody's climbing up on and trying to get higher and higher on, when I'm content and I'm actually doing the things that God's called me to do with is to worship him and to bring him glory and to tell people about him, he takes care of all the rest. He says that several times through scriptures. Now, if I read those scriptures and say, okay, so the way to get stuff is to focus on God, you miss the point entirely. We all have. See, we're getting the stuff so that we can have what God offers to us freely. I want this so I can have peace. I want this so I can have what I want so my heart will be at rest so that I'll stop striving. If I have this, and God says, no, I I just give that away over here. I'll give you peace over here. The other stuff is just, well, it's to buy toilet paper or toothpaste or breath mint for my algebra tutor. That's what that's for. But the piece that you're trying to get, that's over here. It is not found over here. None of that will provide for this that I offer you. What she took home, it says, was far more valuable. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27, it says, The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord. Searching all the inner depths of his heart. I like that. I mean, I like all of God's word, but it helps me understand that what he's doing. We take showers, we brush our teeth, we do all that we can to make the outside appear clean and exfoliate or whatever is masks, you know, that we wear. I don't wear a mask, but many a time I've looked over at the couch and stunned at one of the females or two of the females sitting there with some sort of a white or gray mask on their face of cream. <laughs> oh, yeah, much better. Yeah, <laughs> okay. No, it's, it's um, the outside we can only, we can, there's nothing we can do about the heart. As much as I want it cleansed, there isn't a soap available for that, you know. We're getting close to physical stuff like that. We saw, I, I saw um, an animation of a robot that you swallow, and it actually takes pictures of the inside of your stomach and actually can cauterize and clean up ulcers and things like that. I thought, well, that's pretty cool, you know. We'll think that's old school in, in 20, 30 years. They'll be injecting us with a million tiny little robots that can keep the plaque out of our arteries, just little rotor machines, you know, going through, keeping things maintained or whatever. That's as close as we can ever get to cleaning the inside of stuff. And I bet there's going to be some problems with that, just saying. <laughs> robots inside of us is not going to end well. I've seen too many movies, you know. But when it comes to cleansing my heart and my mind, that's only something that God can do. That's... What the Spirit does, the Holy Spirit comes into the heart of a man, and it's a lamp for the Lord, or of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. I don't even know my heart. I think I do. And then something funny happens, or a situation arises, and little pieces of the dark part of my heart come up that I thought were lit, or gone, and they're there still. Oh, that was ugly. 
God's like, yeah, it's been there a long time. The spirit of a man. That's what's happened to this woman. The light of God has come into her heart and it's exposing things. And for the first time, she has hope. This world isn't a complete waste of time. You know, verse 13, the weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. I don't think that's a, a, a fluke that it's 666. That's the number of man, it's the number of the beast. It's just, it's just an imperfect number. It's just a number that's empty. It's not quite complete. It's not quite perfect. Seven is. Six is just below and keeps you just below. Besides what the traveling merchants and traders brought, and all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the countries brought gold and silver to Solomon. And King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of hammered gold went into each shield. He also made 300 shields of hammered gold. 300 shekels of gold went into each shield. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. <laughs> Make some gold shields and stick them over there. You know, they don't know what they don't even know what to do with it all. All the gold. This is just turning raw materials into something a little more valuable. You know, sometimes I'll I'll watch just something on a diamond mine or something like that, and they bring out these raw diamonds. They're just like quartz to me. You know, they're kind of cloudy. And, oh yeah. Oh, they're so excited. They found this this big diamond. You know, I, I know they found bigger ones, but this is the one they showed on the. And now they got to give this raw diamond to some guy or gal that's going to cut it. Can you imagine that responsibility? It's worth 50000 as it is. Don't blow it. And if you do it right, it'll be worth $500,000, depending on how you cut it or how you polish it or what kind of, you know, can you get the light to refract just right to where it just, nice. You know, that's a skill. It's amazing. Well, that's all he's doing with his gold is he's taking the raw materials and he's turning it into something more valuable by turning into shields. And then they stack them over there. We've got so much gold, we're just stacking it now. 600 shekels, 200 shekels, 300 shekels. Eh, it's just gold. Even more bored with it now. Moreover, that was not the end of it. The king made a great throne of ivory. Look at this throne. It's made of ivory. That's tusks. So you got to kill a bunch of elephants for this throne of ivory. And then they overlaid the ivory with gold. You can't see the ivory anymore. So now all you do all day long is say, you know, this is an ivory throne. It is. Yeah, and I overlaid it with gold. Okay. Bored. I mean, you got to be so bored at this point where you're not making a wooden throne and overlaying it with gold. You're doing ivory tusks, and you're covering it with gold. They're valuable as it is, but let's just put gold over the top of it. And that's not it. Then the throne had six steps and a footstool of gold which were fastened to the throne, and there were armrests on either side of the place of the seat, and two lions stood beside the armrests. Twelve lions stood there on each uh, of the side of the steps, six steps. Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom, no doubt. Now, I think they're live lions. I think they're trained. I don't know if that matters or not. They could be gold, but usually when they make something out of gold, they would tell us, and it was five talents of gold for each lion, and there were 12. You know how they've been doing this whole time. These are just 12 lions sitting there now. You ever see those videos of a guy getting out of a Lamborghini and then walking his tiger? You know, they have those. And that's all he's got. 
is to drive down someplace where someone's going to see him get out of the car so he can get his tiger out and walk and take a video of him. And then he puts the tiger back and goes home and feeds it, and that was it. That's the extent of the excitement of the $350,000 car and the who knows how much for the tiger and the trading that went into the tiger. And now you got a tiger. I mean, it's so vain. It's so empty. It's so worthless. It's comical. You look like a fool. And some people look at them with the rings that fit all four fingers and it says thug life on it or something like that or whatever. And they're walking their tiger and everybody's going, you know, they have the big fur coat. They're like, yeah. Can you imagine doing that in Maryville? Get arrested just for looking that way, you know? Foolish. I mean, we're, we're to that place now. We've got 12 lions in an ivory throne overlaid with gold. Really? You know, now they bring it up because I mean, that's about as, that's the equivalent of what I just described, the Lamborghini and the tiger. That's about as dumb as it gets. And we're there now. We're so bored. They're so bored. I saw, um, there's actually a clothing line. You guys probably knew this, but I didn't know that's, it's called bored. Just written right on the shirt, bored. We have so much, so much wealth that we have nothing better to do but tell everybody how bored we are. I'm so bored. You need a job. Or you need a whole lot less money so that you can go work. You're empty. You're lost. So many celebrities, so many millionaires, billionaires committing suicide. There's just nothing left. They have no reason to live anymore. It's all worthless and empty. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold. Big deal. And all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Big deal. Not one was silver, for this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. Throwing silver away. But the king's ships went to Tarshish with the servants of Hiram. Once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. What a list. Don't forget the apes and monkeys. You know, overlay them with gold too while we're at it. Ridiculous. Oh, he's got a monkey. That's got a tail. I'm on a tailless ape. So, you know. <clears throat> so King Solomon surpassed, obviously, all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. And that's when he writes Ecclesiastes. That's when he writes the book telling everybody it is not worth climbing this hill. It's not worth climbing this hill without God, without knowing what I'm here to do, without fulfilling my purpose. And all the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Each man brought his present articles of silver and gold, garments, armor, spices, horses, mules, at the set rate year by year. They're just piling it up in the corners now as it comes. Shut up and take my money. You know, that's the new phrase. Shut up and take my money. I want that so bad. That's where they are now. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom uh, he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king of Jerusalem. So he reigned over all the kings from the river of the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. And he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores, which are in the lowland. 
And they brought horses to Solomon from Egypt and from all the lands. Now, the rest of the acts of Solomon, first and last, are they not written in the book of Nathan the prophet, in the prophecy of Ahijah the Shilonite, and in the vision of Edo the seer concerning Jeroboam and the son of Nabat? We're going to have to assume yes, because we don't have those books. Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel 40 years, and Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of, his, of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. And that's where things will get interesting next week. Let me read to you, and then we'll close with prayer and a song. Ecclesiastes, the book that Solomon writes, at the pinnacle of wealth with a thousand wives, is a thousand wives. He could sleep with a wife one night and not see her again for three years or more. Unbelievable. Thousand wives, okay? All the money he could ever want. And this is what he comes up with. It's chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, verses 12 through 18. You can read the whole book if you want to, but this pretty much sums it up. I, the preacher, he calls himself the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This burdensome task God has given to the sons of man by which they may be exercised. Interesting way he puts that. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be numbered. I communed with my heart, saying, Look, I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge, and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is grasping for the wind. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. This is the guy at the top telling us down here, it ain't here. No one was more happy probably than David out in the field watching the sheep. That's probably one of the happiest memories David King David ever had was when he was young out with the sheep, playing his harp, worshiping God, taking care of the sheep. That was his mission. That was his purpose, glorifying God and taking care of the responsibilities right in front of him. I wanted to focus on that part, and then we'll close with the fact that he called it exercise. Solomon's evaluation of this world, the wind just happening to go around the earth, it just keeps going, the sun rising, the sun setting, it was like a hamster wheel, the best way to describe it. Solomon's saying, essentially, God has put us on a hamster wheel. We run, 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 and we go nowhere, and we hop off, and we eat, we sleep, we go to the bathroom, we get back on the wheel, we run, 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 and most of the world will spend their entire lives on that hamster wheel, wondering about the futility of it all. Another paycheck, another bill, another problem, on and on and on and on. What a waste. What a waste of a life. We were created to worship the true and living God and to bring him glory, to tell people about him, to fulfill what he's called us to do. That's the only place we'll find happiness. It's the only place we'll find rest and peace and doing what he's made us to do. When we get to heaven, none of this stuff comes with us. You ever wonder why it says, and we're going to be praising and worshiping God for an eternity? Because that is the pinnacle of fulfillment to be doing that. If you're on that hamster wheel this morning, I want you to get off. I encourage you to get off. To 
to trust in Jesus for your salvation if you haven't done so, to worship him in spirit and truth, to commit your life to him, to bringing him glory with your life, to making him known with your mouth and your actions, that the world might see that there's far more than this mundane, boring life. But all those mundane and boring moments, all those, the work, everything that has to do with opportunities to bring him glory, to make him known, to make him famous, to give glory to God and all those things. And when I'm not doing that, it's that silence we experienced at the very beginning. You need to get off that hamster wheel. You need to break that silence with praise to Jesus for what he's done for you, to worship him in spirit and truth. Your whole life, everything, give it all to him. You can't be too saved. You can't worship him too much. You can't bring him enough glory. You can't talk about him enough. You'll never exhaust it, and you'll never be happier than when you're doing that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. I appreciate Solomon's life and your honesty that you share with us about it. The fact that he wrote that book to let us know none of it, none of it, everything under the sun is vanity. Everything above the sun, you, is worth of worship. God, for those this morning that don't know you but want to know you and they feel that tug on their heart that they need more, they need to get off the wheel, they need to commit their life to you, they want to do that right now. Jesus, I know my sins have separated me from you. I've made decisions in my life that have caused me to be alienated from you. You feel distant to me, but I don't want that anymore. I know that your word says that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross in place of me, to take upon my sins, upon his life, and pay the penalty for them. And I believe that, and I trust you for that. Your word says it, you said it, I believe it. This morning I commit my life to you. I give you my heart. Please come into my Lord. Let, let your spirit come in and be that lamp and to search out the darkness of my heart and to remove all the darkness. I want to live for you and give you my life. Everything, every aspect of it. Nothing's hidden from you. Nothing I'm keeping for myself. It's all laid out open and bare. I know you know all things. I give you my life and my heart this morning. May I never look back and may I always run forward with you, waiting for that day where I get to spend an eternity with you, where you take me home. And I look forward to that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.